Have you ever called an Uber? Typically, it's an uneventful experience and comes in handy when you need a no-hassle way to get where you need to be. In March of 2019, a 21-year-old aspiring law student in Columbia, South Carolina, arranged a ride after a festive evening. What she didn't know was that destination would be her final one. This is the case of Samantha Josephson. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Episode 10 of Crime Cave. I'm Christy, and ever since I heard about this case, I definitely think about it every time I use a rideshare app. So, let's get to know this very dynamic young woman, Samantha Josephson. Samantha Lee Josephson, known as Sammy, was born August 13, 1997, in Princeton, New Jersey, to Seymour and Marcy Josephson. One of two girls, Sammy was just 20 months younger than her sister Sydney and was raised in the central New Jersey town of Robbinsville. Sammy had a very unique combination of personality traits. She was incredibly smart, funny, adventurous, sassy, and very sensitive, but also wanted to be the class clown. When her friends described her, a few common adjectives would come up. Silly, goofy, and life of the party. Sammy was a really good person. She cared deeply about the people close to her, and if someone was being mean, she'd call them on it. Although for a while, Sammy had aspired to be a makeup artist, she eventually would gravitate toward law. On her 18th birthday in August of 2015, Seymour and Marcy moved Sammy into her dorm for her freshman year at the University of South Carolina, where she majored in political science. Sammy loved everything about college life. She developed a close group of friends, joined the Alpha Gamma Delta sorority, studied abroad in Barcelona, and had a boyfriend of two years, fellow student Greg Corbishley. Although he had just embarked on his first year of law school at Rutgers University in New Jersey, Greg and Sammy were in regular contact every day. Sammy also made sure to maintain her close connection with her sister during their time living apart. Sydney said she especially liked being able to call Sammy when their parents were annoying her or their dog did something cute. Sammy didn't have classes on Fridays, so Thursdays were typically her night to go out. On March 28, 2019, Sammy had a lot to celebrate. She was six weeks from graduation and had just earned a full scholarship to Drexel University in Philadelphia to study international law. At around 10 p.m., Sammy began her evening having drinks with friends at her apartment on campus, known as The Hub. They then decided to hit a few hot spots in the popular bar district in Columbia called Five Points ultimately ending up at the Bird Dog Bar on Hardin Street at 12.43 a.m. Throughout the evening, Sammy had been keeping in contact with Greg via text. He was currently at his parents' house in Charleston, and Sammy had been trying to convince him to make the two-hour drive to Columbia to meet up with their group. Sammy was going to be visiting him in two days, so he decided against it. Bars in the Five Points District typically closed at 3 a.m., but Sammy decided to peel off from her group at around 2 and head home since she was scheduled for an 11 a.m. shift at her restaurant job. 
She called an Uber at 2.05 a.m., and after making her way through the crowd of partying college students, Sammy waited on the sidewalk for the dark-colored sedan to take her home. Now, Greg, Sammy, and her friends all had an app on their phones called Find My Friends so they could keep track of each other. Greg noticed Sammy's phone was traveling southeast of the bird dog, which was the opposite direction of the hub. After several unsuccessful attempts to reach her, Greg considered the possibility that Sammy was upset with him for not making the drive out there to see her. But after a while, he decided she most likely just left her phone in the Uber, and she'd probably have a funny story to tell him in the morning. By 11 a.m. on Friday, March 29th, Sammy's roommates noticed her work shoes were still by the door. They checked her room and discovered her bed hadn't been slept in. They tried calling her, but her phone repeatedly went to voicemail. Since they knew it was incredibly unlikely that Sammy had just gone off with someone, they called 911 to report her missing, then got in contact with Greg to fill him in. He immediately began the trek down to Columbia to help search and made a call to Sammy's mom, Marcy, while he was en route. Within the hour, Sammy's parents had packed a bag, instructed Sydney to come home to look after their dog, and began their 12-hour drive to Columbia. It should be noted that the efforts Sammy's friends made to find her were pretty impressive. They were able to get into her computer and see that her Uber ride had actually been canceled by the driver due to her not being at the pickup location. They also went back to the bird dog and asked management to allow them to see surveillance video from the night before. Footage from numerous angles in and around the bird dog very clearly showed Sammy in her bright orange blouse. Since her ride was canceled, they expected to see her start walking towards the direction of the hub or perhaps meet up with a friend. But as the group watched intently, there was a moment in the video that left them stunned. As Sammy waited at the rideshare area, a black sedan pulled up. Sammy got in the back seat, and the car sped off in the wrong direction. If that wasn't her Uber, who was it? Greg updated Columbia Police on their findings, and they put out a bolo for a 2017 black Chevy Impala. Meanwhile, Sammy's parents still had another hellish 10 hours on their journey to South Carolina. Investigators were in frequent phone contact with them on the road and asked them to obtain access to Sammy's bank records. Her card was used at two different ATMs in two different cities within a couple of hours of her disappearance. Surveillance footage at both locations showed the same individual, tall, thin, likely male, going to great lengths to conceal his identity with a bandana over his face, sunglasses in the middle of the night, and a hoodie over his head with long white drawstrings pulled tight around his face. News of Sammy's disappearance from the Five Points area circulated across social media and TV news outlets, prompting panic among the USC campus as well as a widespread search. But at 2 p.m. that afternoon, 65 miles southeast in the rural town of New Zion, two men out turkey hunting made a horrendous discovery. 
The body of a young, dark-haired woman wearing an orange top had been dumped in a wooded area and was covered in blood. The body was determined to be Samantha Josephson. When Seymour and Marcy finally arrived at the Columbia Police Department shortly after midnight, they were directed into a room with several people at a long table. But it was the individual wearing the coroner's jacket that confirmed their worst fears. Investigators poured over surveillance video near the bird dog to track the movements of the Chevy Impala. It turns out that the car had circled the block for at least 15 minutes prior to Sammy's abduction in a predatory manner until the assailant spotted his prey. Forensic pathologist Dr. Thomas Beaver conducted the autopsy which revealed the depravity of the attack. Sammy had been stabbed 120 times. Along with standalone stab wounds throughout her entire body, including her lungs, foot, legs, abdomen, and clean through her hand as she tried to shield herself. There were also clusters of stab wounds in quick succession to the hyoid bone deep in her neck, through her earlobe, her right temple causing her eye to collapse, and repeated stab wounds to her skull, which pierced her brain. Dr. Beaver took note of the unusual shape of the wounds, and knew that they would be looking for a very unique weapon, one that contained parallel blades. Sammy had lost almost all of her blood in the attack. The human body normally contained several liters. However, Sammy only had a couple of teaspoons left, making it very difficult to collect a sample from her body. All patrol units in the area were instructed to stop every black Chevy Impala they encountered, and canine handler Jeffrey Kraft was ready. He had watched the video footage of Sammy's abduction hundreds of times prior to a shift. By 2 a.m., 24 hours after Sammy's abduction, he stopped a black Impala near the bird dog. The driver was wearing a hoodie, was not carrying identification, and had his seat reclined way back, as if he didn't have a care in the world. With a strong odor of marijuana coming from the vehicle, the driver was asked to step out, and he took off running. He was tackled after a short foot chase and refused to provide his name. However, inside his car was a pink iPhone, a pink keychain with a university room key, and the back seat was saturated with blood. Furthermore, they discovered the child's safety locks were engaged, preventing anyone in the back seat from escaping. The driver was eventually determined to be 24-year-old Nathaniel Rowland of New Zion. Paperwork found in the glove box revealed the name Maria Howard, who was a woman Nathaniel was seeing at the time. Police tracked her down, and she came in for questioning without hesitation. She stated that at the time of Sammy's abduction and murder, Nathaniel was supposed to stay the entire night at Maria's home. However... She discovered that he left her home around 1.30 a.m. and was unaccounted for for over seven hours. In fact, he was late to pick her up the following morning to drive her to work at McDonald's. Maria noticed an intense smell of bleach throughout his car and a sheet draped over the back seat with blood visibly seeping through. When Maria questioned him, Nathaniel coldly replied, 
mind your business. Later that day, Maria witnessed him continue to scour his car with bleach and make several trips back and forth to her garbage can, carrying bloody towels and finally wiping down a menacing-looking multi-tool with parallel blades covered in blood. She said she was too scared to go to the police because she had a small child at home. Nathaniel Rowland was charged with kidnapping, murder, and possession of a weapon in commission of a murder. The trial began July 20th of 2021. The defense claimed that Nathaniel was out partying the night in question and that someone borrowed his car when he fell asleep, murdered Samantha, and dropped his car back off to him. Zero witnesses were called on his behalf, and Nathaniel did not testify. Now, the trauma inflicted on Sammy's family during the trial cannot be overstated, along with hearing the gruesome details of Sammy's final moments. Her footprint had been found on the inside of the Impala's rear window as she desperately tried to kick her way out. It was also revealed that just one hour after her murder, her killer went online to watch porn. Prosecutor Daniel Goldberg gave an absolutely riveting closing argument. And on July 27, 2021, after an hour of deliberation, Nathaniel Rowland was found guilty on all charges and sentenced to life in prison without parole. Nathaniel was on the prowl for a victim, but Samantha Josephson was a strong-willed, independent woman, and she was not going down without a fight. We can only imagine the amount of terror she experienced when she realized she was in the wrong car. Her graduation ceremony took place in May of 2019, and in honor of Sammy, an empty seat was draped with a cap and gown. Sammy's family created the What's My Name Foundation and passed Sammy's Law, the acronym meaning Stop, Ask, Match, and Inform to increase rideshare safety. Police departments in downtown areas have also put up Sammy Stops, where rideshare users can safely meet their legitimate drivers. Hey everybody, it's Ray the Roadie. And this is Hollywood Mike with the Rock and Roll Chicago Podcast coming to you from the Illinois Rock and Roll Museum on Route 66 in Joliet, Illinois. Where once a week we are interviewing local musicians and singer-songwriters and the podcast itself covers a wide range of topics, including, but not limited to, the history of rock and roll in Chicago, the current state of the scene, and the challenges and opportunities facing musicians today. So join us every Tuesday for a new exciting episode of the Rock and Roll Chicago podcast. Thanks for joining me. This episode of Crime Cave has been brought to you by Fortress Defense Consultants, providing security consulting for educational institutions, corporate facilities, and houses of worship, as well as pepper spray, situational awareness, and defensive firearms training for police and private citizens. Find Fortress on the web at FortressDefense.com. Contact Fortress directly at 708-522-8060 or email them at info at Avoid being the subject of a future episode of Crime Cave. Train with Fortress today. Until next time.